Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. Last week, I started with some thoughts about the supernatural way of life for the believer. And I started out in Revelation 21, 22, where it shows the supernatural reality of what we're going to live in for eternity. And it's a pattern. It's, well, that's not a pattern. That's the reality. So it'll be up online. I'm not going to re-preach that message. But it's not because I preached it, but it's a great portion of the Bible. You need to know what you're going to be doing, where you're going. That makes sense. You need to know what you're going to be doing, where you're going. You're going to heaven. What am I going to be doing there? Revelation 21, 22 tells you at least some of it. Our kids treat our grandkids better than we treated them. Does that make sense? They are being better parents than we were. Because we'll see out of nowhere. Oh, hi, dad. We're all in Hawaii. Well, why didn't Grandpa get in the plane ticket? Oh, Dad, where, you know, Emma, she knows Disney. She can do tours at Disneyland. So they go, all these places. The point I'm trying to make is they know exactly what they're going to do when they get to where they're going. And that's part of the enthusiasm with going. The remarkable thing that I find in the kingdom is Christians just kind of have an idea. Well, yeah, well, when we get over there, it's going to be great. It's going to be good. Yeah, God's there. We're going to be, you know, angels and noise and worship. But, but the Bible is actually quite specific of the supernatural kingdom reality of what you'll be experiencing for eternity and at least giving you a little window into it. That's good. That's what's coming. But where I like to go with this is that out of that, you find the pattern of what church now should be like. And I know everybody loves to take out of Corinthians where Paul and he lays down, you know, about tongues and all that stuff. And that's all good. But there's more, so much more there to what church, kingdom activity, the assembling of the saints should be like. Very specific, as a matter of fact. The Old Testament hides the truth in the New Testament. Or the truth in the New Testament is found hidden in the Old Testament. The New Testament reveals the reality of the truth that you find in the Old Testament. That's a principle we operate on in reading Scripture and interpreting and understanding it. So there are two tremendous chapters in the book of Ezekiel that if you'll take them as such, is the way I'm going to do my best to bring them and present them to you. And I'm not going to get through all this. I mean, you can ask Michael Holbrook. I send him. I got more notes. I got a lot of notes. Uh, so we're just going to get started with this. But out of these two chapters, they're incredible, not just prophetic, but they're incredible hidden truths of what kingdom life now should look like and how it manifests in what we call in our country church. And it's so misunderstood, not just by the world. The world, if you ask them, uh, drive by, what goes on in that building that's shaped like this in there? They'll say something like, I don't know, and I don't want to know. I don't know, you know, this is different. You know, I've never been all that. There's all kinds of things. Because, But the the amazing thing is, is that even people that come have a limited idea of what the supernatural reality is really about when we come and assemble ourselves together. There are certain things taken from the pattern of the heaven that not just should be, but that will be happening in what we call church. 
And Ezekiel 46 and 47, incredible patterns. I was going to try to, you know, maybe condense it into one message, but it's literally, I, I, I'm not going to do that because I can't do that. Do that. Um, Ezekiel 47, chapter, verses 1 through 23, is the now pattern that reflects the pattern of heaven. Over in Ezekiel 46, we're going to do a review of that. And it starts, Jesus, Jesus put down a supernatural principle. He said, if two or three are gathered in my name, anybody know what he said would happen? I'll be there. Now, he's there with you. He never leaves you and all that. But there's something different than just how you experience the Lord as you live your life as an individual. There's something different whenever you get together with at least a couple of other Christians. There's something different than when you get together uh, in a place like this. It's so easy to just see it from the perspective of your natural mind. But we go in, we find our seat. Hopefully the place is clean. Hopefully, you know, there's, you know, systems are all working, all that kind of stuff. And we kind of, you know, we, we are so used to living in the five senses that it's, all, it, it's such a transition. It's not impossible, but it's such a transition to come in and kind of step back from the five senses and let your spirit begin to say, okay, something's going on here that doesn't happen in the mall when I'm with a bunch of other people or I'm at a ball game or when I'm we're, we're in a restaurant. Something, this is dip. Jesus said, when you're there gathered in my name, he said, I'll be in the midst. What do you mean by that? Well, we'll look at them. Over in Ezekiel 46, I'm just going to start working through. So, Father, I pray that your anointing would come on a few words that we have to say this morning. I pray that the truth of the New Testament will jump off the page as we look into the Old Testament about what Christian uh, life in the kingdom is all about when we get together as your people. In Jesus' name. Now, if you want to look at the church uh, life experts, Barna and some others uh, that study, you know, the, the phenomena of people attending churches in America, uh, it's a dismal out that they have. I read them, but I don't like reading them. I read them and I don't enjoy reading them. I read them and I pray, not against them, but I pray against their, their prognosis. But then as you go through history, you'll find that it's always been that way. They've always been saying, oh, the church is done. The church is dead. The Bible's irrelevant. Let's burn the Bibles. Let's burn the Christians. Let's kill the preachers. Let's do all that. And then the church will go away. No, it won't. Why? Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not, cannot, not possible for the gates of hell to prevail against the church. So I don't care what you might be seeing online or from the, the goofballs out there that try to act like they know everything about God and they don't know anything about God. But this thing is real. It's the most real thing on the planet. I'm just trying to process some things the Spirit of God in the Big Bang. I'm going to move out. I'll bring that next week. But Ezekiel 46. The pattern of heaven in the church today. 46.1. The price of the presence. We, I, would consider this, and I hope you do too, that this is a church that stewards the presence of God. What do you mean, Pastor? That we take worship as more than singing songs. That we take prayer as more than a couple requests that we put in a, a wall or a bulletin board. That we take the fellowship of the brotherhood as something that's real and different than being with the guys at work or the family out there who doesn't know the Lord. And so we're going to do a review of Ezekiel 46, and Ray starts right off. Oh. <clears throat> In 45, and we'll go through that, but just in 45, Ezekiel 45 was showing this basic truth and this basic pattern in Ezekiel 40, that there's a price paid to get in the temple. Who paid the price? Not you. You had nothing to do with it. You're an enemy to it, actually. 
You are a hindrance to it. Jesus paid the price so that we could come boldly to the throne of grace. No, that's what the father says about you. Told it to James. He said, tell them to come boldly to the throne of grace. What's the throne of grace? God's throne. It operates out of grace, not out of judgment. But operated out of judgment, you'd be dust. <laughs> but it doesn't. Jesus took the judgment of God upon himself. And so now we are instructed, we are commanded, if you were to break down James 4, we're commanded to resist the devil and seek God. And he said, and come boldly on it. We are coming to the Father's house. My kids and my grandkids, when they come to my house, they do not even, it never crosses their mind. You know, maybe I should ask dad before I raid the fridge. They just walk in and start raiding. You know what dad does? Baby, go down to the store and get some more. That's the father's heart. So there's a price of the presence. And so 45 kind of goes through that, about the feast, about the, the offering, the laws of the prince. Who's the prince? If you want to break down Ezekiel 45, the prince, it's not just Jesus. It can apply it, but the prince is basically us and how we're coming in and accessing what God has made available to us. I want you to ask yourself this question. Have I really been accessing what God has made available to me as a believer? A couple things. Do you know what the Lord has made available to you as one of the children? Always oh, far more than what we can know. But it's a lot. We quote over and make my little declarations that the promises of God are what? Yes and amen to those who believe in Christ. And so as you start out in Ezekiel 46, there was this way, okay, you're going to come in. You're going to come in to the presence of God, into the house. You're going to bring in the sacrifice. You're going to do all these things. And in verse, chapter 46, verse 1 says this, thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court that faces towards the east shall be shut six working days. But on the Sabbath day, it shall be open. And on the day of the new moon, it shall be open. And the prince shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway from the outside and stand by the gatepost. A review of the pattern of what uh, the kingdom life of the believer in, in being in the house of God is really like. It's an open door. There is a price for the presence. And he said that whenever you come through the gateway, you're going into the inner court. And this is how it looks and this is how it faces. Church is more than coming in and sitting in the same chair that you've sat in for however long and experiencing the same thing. You are coming in under a pattern of heaven and you're entering in through into a court where God sets up his ability to interface and interject with mankind. That's what this place is all about. I love fellowship. I love worship. It's one of the closest things to heaven that you can, but it is, it is not about horizontal, at least in the beginning. In the beginning, it's about vertical and that the father of heaven and his son Jesus and his person, Holy Spirit, wants to interact with you in this place and on a way that doesn't normally happen outside of this place. That's what the house of God is about. And I mean, no disrespect here because I don't, this place doesn't do it. I think you're all about my age and you find no joy in digital activity, continual digital activity. But honestly, many places, church is nothing more than an interlude to kind of catch up on whatever is going on in the phone wall until the guy's done talking up there. That's not what church is about. He said, when you, thus says the Lord God, this wasn't, this wasn't the priest or the prophet, this is God. When you, gate, the, the gateway of the inner court that faces the it's going to be opened and told when it was going to open. There's an open door of Sabbath worship. Now, I worship every day, and I hope and pray you do too. You need to. Do whatever means you got to. Get your, get your iPhone song list, all that kind of stuff. I do all that stuff. My wife helped me because I can't. I lost my notes this morning with the touch of one button that not even Michael Hallberg could figure out what I did. So it doesn't work for me that well. But I worship every day, and I love the Lord's presence, and I bask in that. But I'm going to tell you, it's different and richer and better on Sunday morning when we're all together here and the minstrel and all the stuff is going on is just different. It's better. 
the open door of the Sabbath worship. So you go back over to 22 Revelation, I'm not gonna get there, but if you go, we looked at it a little bit last week, one of the realities of heaven is there's a continual sound of worshiping the Father from every living creature he's ever created. The pattern now of heaven is that we come in and we enter into that open door of Sabbath worship. And I don't mean Sabbath as some special day. Paul said that every day is holy, Lord. Where's it begin? It begins in verse two. It begins, where's worship begin? Where do we begin to enter in? The prince shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway from the outside and stand by the, the priest shall prepare and burn off where it begins at the threshold. You know what? You need to begin preparing yourself to come before the presence of the Lord way before you even pull into the parking lot out here. I'll let you in a little secret. Preachers are no different than you. So it's a much shorter ride to church here than say when we were pastoring in Winston where we had 15 miles to get there. Well, you think Susan and I are driving the 15 miles worshiping, praising God. <laughs> it's okay. There will be times of intense conversation during the 15 miles. Oh, no. It was, I, I was the guilty one, not you, babe. Uh, and then before we before we're, when we're getting close, we're getting, oh, okay, oh, Jesus, help us, help us, Lord. We got to end. And then we get there. Oh, thank you, God. That's, are you okay? Do, do you hate us now? So I love being close. It just reduces the odds, okay? Um, but I know that goes on. I, that goes on even when I'm driving by myself, by the way. So, well, the, the point is uh, that worship begins before you ever get to the threshold. That's the point. Prepare yourself. You're not just coming in to a Bymart or to a Safeway or to what name your pleasure. You're not just coming into Sports and Warehouse. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, uh, or whatever your favorite place is. You're coming in where God Almighty said, I'm gonna meet you in there when you get with all the others that have come for the same purpose. You wanna know what makes a worship service great? People that cross the threshold and they're not worried about whether the team's ready to go. They're praising God, no matter what the team, begins at the threshold. This is one of my favorites. Uh, I began to go through this many, many years ago and refined it through the years a little bit. Um, okay, so what happens, what should happen to you, to us, when we come to the house of the Lord? Well, good things. You should encounter the joy of the Lord. You encounter all kinds of stuff. But there's a remarkable thing. God's pattern is that you come in one way and you leave another way. Susan stole it last Sunday. She didn't even realize it, but she began to say, you can leave different. That is exactly the pattern of kingdom, uh, uh, the, the pattern of heaven for coming into the house of the Lord today is that you come in one way and you leave it different. Verse eight, when the prince enters, he'll go in by the vestibule of the gateway and he'll go out the same way. All right? But when the people of the land, say it with me, but when the people, but when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. And whoever enters by the way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. And he shall not return by the way of the gates through which he came, but he shall go out through the opposite gate. And the prince then will be in the midst. And when they go in, he shall go in. And when they go out, he shall go out. You see, Churches where change should happen in your life. And we become so accustomed to nothing really happening much different from Sunday to Sunday that we don't associate this place with change. This place is all about change. This place is nothing about staying the same. There's not anything that happens in God's kingdom and in this place where, where you said God stays the same. He never changes. His word, his ways, they never change. But we are continually changing. It's called sanctification. We taught on it last 
not too long ago on Wednesday night. It's where change takes place in your life. And so this is between you and God. This is an internal review. I got to do my own internal review. I've got more messes than you've got. And so I don't care about what mess you got. No, please, I love you. I'm your show. But there are things that need to change in my life. This is the first place they start at. Oh yeah, I might have to go to the doctor. I might have to do this. I might have to go downtown to a spot. But listen, the first place I'm going to go, I'm going to the house of God. And I'm going to go in one way and I'm going to come out another way. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I know God never changes in this regard. The prince, he comes there whenever we, whenever we come. There's a verse here and I, I'm not going to get to it. But when we come in, he comes in. He comes because, you know, when we're two or three are gathered. The pattern is right here. And what happens when you go in? And this isn't about, you know, come in that back door and go out there. No, it's talking about what's going on inside of you. He wants to change you from glory to glory. Well, how much glory can you get? Whatever glory you've got, there's more. <laughs> right? You're never on this side going to have the tank full. There's always more. There's always something that the Lord can refine because he's making us and shaping us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so there's that continual process. Oh, there were things when I first got saved, they really did need to change and they didn't change right now because I was a mess. And I was walking in the Lord for years and decades and all of that kind of stuff. Some of that, that gets all worked out. But guess what? The process of coming in way, one way and leaving another, that never stops. And just so you know, before I ever stand up here and preach to you, I preach this thing. This thing has been preached to me several times. So I'm saying, God, what do you need to do in me? I'll just be vulnerable to you. God, I need to be a better husband. You're going to tell You gave me an incredible wife. I need to be a better husband. God, you gave me incredible children. They're not rebels. They're, they're awesome. They're amazing in what they do. And, and I don't understand it all. But God, I need to be a better father. I need to be a better grandfather. I need to be a better example. And there, you see the process. I'm not just being, you know, down in Gary or, or trying to be, you know, make a point in that. That goes on within all of us. Many, many times, God, I need to be a better pastor. Talking to one of my dear friends in the ministry the other day, and we were both thanking God for the blessing that's happening on our lives where we're both positioned now. And his, he's in a church and I'm in a church and all that kind of stuff. And he said, Gary, God has extended his goodness to us. Look at what the Lord has done. And we both together in that phone call began to, began to break down and just say, thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to us. We get to pastor your people. They're not our people. You're his people. You leave different than you came. Don't ever settle or stay where you're at right now in the things of God. There's more. Oh, here it is. I, I love this. We set the stage for the prince to arrive. Verse 10. Okay, they go out one door. They come in one way. They go out another. Verse 10. The prince that shall then be in their midst. When they go in, he'll go in. God's made an eternal promise. When you come before him, he's going to come to you. Well, he's God. Why doesn't he take the first step? He already did. He loved you when you were a mess. He gave the best of heaven, Jesus, his son, the slam without spot and wrinkle, that all the crowns that have ever been made will be cast at his feet. He gave him so that you could be in his presence. He took the first step. Now it's when you come in, he said, I'll be there. <laughs> He's waiting here. He's waiting for us to come. I tell you, church, we have an audience. We have an audience that humbles every king, every president, every leader, every ruler, every wealthy person. We have an audience with ones that all of those are nothing but dust in comparison to. And we have, an, he said, I'll be there whenever you come. Lord Jesus, oh God, help us. It wants to bring change in your life. This next one is, I'm gonna, this will be the last one for today. I'm tired. 
has changed my whole concept on giving 20 plus years ago. I've never given the same since this revelation, if you want to call it that, since this few verses of scripture opened to my mind and to my understanding. Yeah, I believe in tithing. It's in the Bible, but I just kind of look at that's that's I don't even know if you want to call it a starting point. But that's an Old Testament truth with two New Testament reveals something so far greater. <laughs> now, don't get afraid. I, I'm not talking percentages here. That's why I brought up that word term. You're going to, and, and I suspect most of you will have heard the term when I get there. Maybe some of you haven't, not in this way, but it's thoroughly scriptural, totally biblical, totally God. The voluntary offering, the spontaneous free will offering is holy and precious to God. Verse 12. I need to watch something. Oh, okay. I'll read it here. The voluntary offering, spontaneous free will offering. Before I go, how many have ever heard the term a free will offering? Oh, yay. I've been in churches where I made that, and it's just been the one lonely deacon sitting in the corner that raised his hand. So you guys are well ahead of the curve. Well, this is where it comes from. This is a kingdom reality that should operate in New Testament believers. And here's the pattern for it found in the Old Testament. This is the type of offering that God did when he gave Jesus to save you wasn't a tithe offering. Jesus, you got to go because we owe it. You got to go because I love him so much. Now, when the prince makes a voluntary burnt offering or a voluntary peace offering to the Lord, the gate that faces towards the east, and I won't even get into that pattern, but the gate that faces towards the east, that's where the sun came up. That's why they faith, many religions still use that. We as Christians, we don't worship the sun. Matter of fact, where we're going, we read it last week. There is no sun and there is no moon. But yet there are still 12 months. The lamb is the light. But this is the pattern. When you make these burnt offerings, voluntary burnt offerings. Now, verse chapter 45, we'll go through it. But chapter 45 was not dealing with the voluntary offering. It was dealing with every day when you get up, this is what you're going to do. Priests get in there, kill it, burn it, offer it. But this is another type of offering. You could do this or you could not do it. Voluntary. Yeah, right. Okay. Voluntary burnt on a voluntary peace to the Lord. The gate that faces the east shall be open for him. So something happens to you when you give voluntarily. Gates open to your life from the kingdom. How many want, how many have heard the term you live under, you know, God will open the windows of heaven. Just a New Testament terminology for what he's talking about right here. Gates are open when you voluntarily take of yours and say, God, I give it to you. I don't have to. The preacher's not putting a curse on me if I don't. None of that kind of stuff. This is what I do because I love you. You're not asking for it. It's not a special thing. It's not a fundraiser. It's not a guy on TV. It's not this. It's not that. This is between you and me, God. I don't have to, but because you gave so much for me, I give this to you. That's this offer. It opens gates and windows in your life. Once you start entering through those gates, you'll never go back to just saying, I'm going to give God a tip. You'll never do it again. The gate shall be open for him. For who? The guy bringing the free will offering. He shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offering as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out. And after he goes out, the gate will be shut. What's that mean? After you give it, after he's opened the gate for you, then he puts a hedge of protection around your life. Susan and I have believed this and we're not wealthy far from it. And I won't even go into all that stuff, but we take and we say, God, you remember our offerings. The Bible says you can do that. And God, we ask that you remember our offerings and that you put a hedge of protection around what we own and possess. 
Our cars need to last 300,000 miles, not 100,000 more, because I don't have money for a $70,000 truck. Come on, somebody. Our home needs to laugh. Uh, everything we have, got, it needs to go further. That's the promise of the open heaven and the shut gate of protection around your life. How many need that over your life? You've, you've actually watched and seen the devourer come and just begin to eat things. This is a solution for the devourer over your life. The offering is always given. This offering, what's it mean? What do we got? No, okay, here it is. This offering is always given whenever you break down that word, free will. Whenever you go in and pull it down, okay, what's he talking? This is what he's talking. This offering is always given willingly and bountifully. Isn't that exactly what Paul said? That's the way we're supposed to give? I've heard some of our fellows get up here and read those verses on Sunday morning. Yeah, you come in and you, uh, uh, you, you uh, decide before you come in and you, you freely give it. This is where it's found. This is where it comes from. This is the reality of it. This offering is always given willingly and bountifully. Liberally or as a prince would offer. Why would it say that? Because princes, they have access to the kingdom. They can give whatever they want to give. It refers not to the nature of the offering, not about the number on the check or the title to the car or this or that or whatever it might be. It refers to the nature of it. It refers to the free will of the offering, not the offering. God's not impressed. I can tell you right now, you can write a check with as many zeros behind it as you want and go to look at it and say, oh, thank you. But you know what? Um, I still got more than you got. I wrote. This refers to, not to the nature of the offering or to the external mode in which it is offered, but to the motive and the spirit of the... Remember David? He was running from Saul. He had a group of mighty men that kind of gathered around. He was kicked out of Jerusalem. He was kicked out of his kingdom. One day he was standing up on a, on a hillside and he, and he just kind of said in passing, all that I can have a drink from the well. He, he wasn't meaning it for his guys to hear. You want to know what happened after he said that? His man, his mighty man. I've seen this anointing here. It's here, what I'm going to tell you. I've watched it. Oh yeah, I've watched it yesterday, but I watched it literally from the first few days we landed in this place. I've watched this. This anointing is here. It was placed here by the Mulkies and the malls and all the folks that were part. It was, it was it's a spiritual thing, really. And you're in it and you become woven into the fabric and it's so part of you, you don't even know that it's really part of your fabric. But those that come in that aren't part of the fabric, it stands out. Michael Wisman <laughs> and others. David's men said, okay, David wants a drink from that well. And it's guarded by the Philistines and every bad warrior they've got. We're going to sneak in in the middle of the night. We're going to take the jug and we're going to fill it up and we're going to bring it back for David. A free will offering. He didn't ask them to do that. He didn't say, guys, get your sword, get your heart, get down there and get me. That's not how it works. They just heard the heart of the king. Oh, I'd love it. And they looked for a way. How are we going to get that to the king? That's free will offering. Okay, what are you hearing the king long for? I heard yesterday when I watched these little kids with faces painted like lions and cats and dogs. Oh, I'm not I'm going to be, I'm a mess. And they snuck down nine enemy lungs that night and they filled up the jug. God gave you grace. They're mighty men of war. They'd have killed anybody they got in their past. And they knew that it might require some of them didn't come back. Just like modern day soldiers very much. They weren't doing it for their mom or their dad or their kids or their country. They were doing it for the king. One solitary man that they had pledged. The solitary man we pledge allegiance to is Jesus. You need to listen. 
what he's saying, oh, I wish I had. And then you need to do your best to go get it. I'm just, excuse me. You need to listen to what Jesus is saying along for in Vancouver. And then you need to put it all on the line and say, I'm going to go get it. And that's what we're doing. They went, they got it. They got back. <laughs> they were proud guys. They were happy. They brought those jugs. They said, David, you know where this came from? What are you talking about, boys? The well of Jerusalem. Your five-gallon jug with your name on it. Ha <laughs> ha. You remember the story with David did? He didn't take the jug and just tip her up and just let it pour. He didn't do that at all. His heart broke. I don't know if he wept. He was a mighty man. He was a mighty warrior. He was a, he was a lethal man of war. But yet he had a heart out. Anyway, he took it. And he said, I'm not worthy of this water that you man went and risked it all for to get for me. I'm not worthy of this. And so I'm going to freely of my own wills. I'm going to make a free will offering. And he took that and he tipped it and he offered it to God and let it run on the ground. That's a free will offering. The price was paid more than what he deserved. That water was holy water. That wasn't just water out of a well down in the middle of town that he used to live in. That's what free will offerings are. That's what I watch happening. I'm not just talking about yesterday. That's what I've been watching happening around it. That's what I watch happen everywhere where the kingdom begins to manifest and show forth. Church, if we will begin to say, God, our motive is to pour out our lives as an offering to you without regard of what it does and what we get or what we don't get or how that all works. God, we want to get it for you because you're the king and you deserve the best and you gave it all for us and we're bringing it to you. Do you know what will happen? Gates will open before this house. Gates will open before your life. Windows will be kicked open in heaven and God will pour out a blessing that you can't contain. He said, good measure, pressed down, running over. You won't be able to contain it. And it's not money. It's not just things. It's souls and it's people and it's... Let's stand. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you've been touched by the word of God, not by my preaching, but by the word, I want you to just right now shut your eyes and lift your hands and just begin to say, God, all that I am, I offer to you. It's a free will offering. That's what Corinthians said, that we come and we present ourselves of a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. God, we offer all that we are today before your kingdom, before your throne, before Jesus the Prince of Heaven. God, what I witnessed last yesterday and what I witnessed the last months that we've been here is holy to you. <laughs> Susan and I are nothing, God. Without you, we're literally nothing. But yet I watch people extend honor and love and acceptance and sacrifice. And Jesus, I pour it out before you. <laughs> yes. It belongs to you, Jesus. The glory is yours. The praise is yours. God, will you have your way in this place? Will you have your way in our city? Would you just begin to pray out with me? Don't just listen to me pray. You begin to join with me. Could you? Lord, we'll anoint you and we'll agree with prayer and then we'll be done. Lord, will you give us this city for your kingdom's sake, oh God? Will you give us souls in this place for your kingdom's sake, God? Will you give us families in this place for your kingdom's sake, God? Lord, whatever we do, we're going to do it for you, God, and in your name and with your help, Jesus. It's not about us. It's about you. It's your kingdom, not our kingdom. It's what your will being done in heaven and having it happen here on earth. Thank you, Jesus. Lay your hand on your chest and just say, God, let the change start right here with me. Change me, God. Whatever you need, this is the most dangerous prayer I know how to pray. God, whatever you need to do in me, whatever you need to do in us, 
We give you permission. Come do it. That's the dangerous, most dangerous prayer I know how to pray. Because God takes you serious at it. And he's God. And he'll work whatever needs to be worked out in you to make you more like Jesus. Lord, whatever you want to do and need to do in people's church, we pray come and do it. Whatever needs to take place here for your name to be glorified in our city, for people to be touched by the kingdom, come and do it. Start here with us, God. Freely we come, Lord. We lay it all down. Free will, God. Nobody's making us do this. We're coming because we want to. Change us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Will you turn to somebody that's not related to you and just begin to pray for them and bless them? And with that, then we'll dismiss under the glory and the presence of God. Find somebody, maybe groups, two or three. And I know I'm always uncomfortable when some guy asks me to do this, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Find somebody that you're not related to and begin to pray the best blessing prayer you've got over them. I mean, the Lord will tell you how to bless somebody real good. Just begin to bless them. Just begin to open uh, God's heart to them. Just begin to pray, Lord. Uh, just just pour out more than they've ever dreamed upon their lives. Just begin to pray your best prayer and, and put a little bit of ump in it. Put a little bit of volume in it. The fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. Get some fervency in your prayer, church. Come on, just begin to say, God, I don't know this person that well. I don't know them. Maybe you do, but Lord, I just pray that you would work whatever needs to go on in their life, Lord. You would do it. You're the author of it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's conclude with this prayer of agreement. Let's pray this together. God, give us the city. Just pray with me right now. Just pray that out. God, give us the city. God, give us the city. That's what we're asking. We're not saying, oh, we're the only one. That's not what we're saying. Oh, but we're just saying, God, whatever, whatever portion of it you want, give us the city, Lord. Whatever we need to, to influence in this place, Lord, give us the city. We'll love the city unconditionally. We'll love them like you do, Jesus. Oh, we'll stand in the gap. We'll make up the hedge. We'll stand for righteousness, all that. But God, we want to love the city. God, you're such a loving, powerful, wonderful God. Lord, I pray you release miracles into this place now, God. People that need a touch in their body, people that need miracles in every area of their life, you release it in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray the people would go this week. They'd be the head and not the tail. They'd be above and not beneath, Lord. They'd be the lender and not the borrower. That, God, we would go out and you would make straight paths for our feet, oh God. We would walk in the victory and the joy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I bless your name of the Lord. You're... Go and go and do great exploits for the king this week. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer, you want prayer, you need somebody to lay hands on you and pray, come on down. We'll do that.